Um, at this time, the kids can go to Children's Church. Today we're going to be reading out of Luke 6, 43 through uh, 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known in its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. In case you didn't know, Josh is a teacher, and so he can tune out the rumble uh, as, as he read uh, today. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for Josh. And again, you know, for those of you who are new and don't know, Josh is our new uh, family and children's minister, and we are thrilled to have him on. Uh, as he just started officially at the beginning of this year. So he's new, and you heard Mark pray for Jim. So for those of you who weren't here last week, Last week we made the announcement that we hired Jim Walker to be our new discipleship pastor, and we are excited for him to come, and uh, he will be here in a few short weeks. It'll be uh, mid-February. He'll be here just in time for the marriage conference, which I won't plug, but you should come. Uh, okay, so, um, you know, in, in all my days of, of fun activity and hobbies, um, I, I've, I've never taken up sailing. Uh, I know that's a shock, you know, living in the middle of of the, the country, uh, I've never taken up sailing. However, there is a phrase that many of us, even here in the Midwest, have adopted into our vocabulary. Sometimes we'll say, oh, it's all smooth sailing from here, right? So when we say it's all smooth sailing from here, what do we mean? We mean the hard part is done, and now it's going to be easy. But that being kind of a, a, a nautical expression, I just wonder, like, what, what is our relationship to this idea of rough waters and smooth waters? And I think the closest we can come is the lake. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like the lake. You go to the lake, you can have smooth waters, you can have rough waters. Uh, I did not grow up in a lake family. It was not a thing. My, I married into a lake family. And so, so Bob, Susan, Callie Lee, so Bob and Susan, that's my father-in-law and mother-in-law, uh, they, they grew up on the water all the time. They're, they're skiing pros. It's like watching angels on the water, you know. Even Bob, he's graceful. <laughs> that man, he might be 70 years old, but he can still get feet off the ground when it comes to jumping wake. I am truly impressed. I did not get this. I have no grace and cannot water ski for anything. I, I did, however, at one point used to love to tube. Tubing was a lot of fun. It was. It hurts now, but was a lot of fun. And I got to tell you, one thing I learned about the tube is the tube is great when it's smooth sailing. 
Like you get outside that wake when you're making a turn, it's like glass. And it doesn't matter how fast you go. Sometimes I swear Bob would take that turn at like 100 miles an hour and I'm like hanging on for dear life. But out there over the smooth water, it's easy. Well, I don't remember when this was. I think we were 17. First time I got invited to the lake with the family. This was exciting. So we had this, this gang of four that hung out all the time. There's two guys, two girls, one of which was Elise. We were not dating. We were just friends. And Bob, like next level girl dad, made the boys sleep in a tent outside while the girls got to sleep inside in air conditioning, which is something I'm filing away to do to some boy someday. You want to come? Great, you're going to pay the price. Uh, so I, I appreciated that about Bob. But anyway, somehow the course of this first trip, I don't even remember how this happened, but I, I goaded, was goaded into betting Bob he couldn't throw me off the tube. That was a mistake. And I, again, Bob, Bob had me out on the smooth water going in big circles. And all the while, he, was, he did three big circles, which made the water in the middle like six feet tall, I, maybe 12. I don't know. It, it didn't matter how big it was. These waves were huge. And on the fourth pass, he slung me the other way. And I got to tell you, I hit those waves, and it was over. I don't even know what happened, but it was over. I was, I was on my back thinking, why, Lord? Why, why did I test him? So I learned two valuable lessons that day out on the water. First and foremost, do not mess with Bob. But second, I learned that water is a powerful force, and I learned this firsthand. So the expression smooth sailing may not mean anything to me on a ship, but I know the difference between waves and smooth water, and water always, always wins. So today as we look at our passage, we need to see that Jesus is preparing his disciples to endure even when the waters of life are against us. See, I got there. I, how's he, what is he going to do with this? I got there. Uh, he is uh, preparing his disciples to endure even when the waters of this life are against us. Jesus is not interested in preparing his disciples for smooth sailing. Okay? Anyone can do that. Anyone can endure while life is easy. You can hang on to that tube while you're on the outside, while the water is smooth. Can you hang on when the waters of life are rough? And there's almost this promise that at some point it will get rough. So in our passage today, Jesus gives us three ways to be spiritually prepared for the hardships of life. In our passage, Jesus says, come to him, listen to him, and do what he says. Come to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and do what Jesus says. We're going to jump into the middle of our passage and begin in verse 46. We're going to read 46 through 49 of Luke chapter 6 to get started. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, 
immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, this passage is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Plain, which began way back in verse 20 before Christmas, okay? Now, we, we need to understand that Jesus wants his disciples to stand. That's his goal. That's his purpose. He does not want us to crash and burn. He doesn't want our house to fall. Any house can stand when there are no floods, but only a house with a firm foundation can stand when life gets hard. So as we think about the floods that can come our way, Jesus gives us lots of examples throughout Luke chapter 6. So if you go back through the chapter and you think of all the ways that we've seen Jesus teach, each one of those can almost be one of the ways that life gets hard for us. So, so think about this as, as he gives the, the blessings and woes. He mentions poverty, hunger, mourning. All of these are hardships in life. Later, he talks about being persecuted because of him. He mentions abuse, being cursed, being hit and beaten up, and even being robbed. This passage specifically addresses the challenges of loving your enemy, showing mercy and forgiving, and addresses the difficulty of not condemning others and making sure that we don't judge hypocritically. Church, we need to understand that when Jesus talks about the challenges of this life that can knock our house down, he isn't talking about softballs. The context of our passage right here in Luke chapter 6 mentions some pretty heavy things. Jesus is clearly addressing some of the hardest aspects of life in a fallen world. So if we're going to follow Jesus when it's smooth sailing and, and when it's the choppiest of ocean tempests, then Jesus says we need to do three things. We need to come to him, we need to listen to him, and we need to do what he says. Now, as we've moved throughout uh, the Sermon on the Plain, we've seen that the key verse uh, to this whole sermon uh, comes from verse 40 of Luke 6. And verse 40 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So, as followers of Jesus... We are presently being trained by our teacher so that we can be more and more like him. And as we've moved through the Sermon on the Plain, we've seen what our teacher is like. So think back, what have we seen our teacher be like? Well, Jesus loves his enemy, all right? Jesus does what he would have others do to him. He is merciful, he judges rightly, meaning, as we talked about last week, that he wants us to be able to see right, and not stay blind. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. We see that Jesus is forgiving, and he is generous. So what's our teacher like? This passage has told us over and over again what our teacher is like. Now, over the last several weeks, we've seen that if we live like our teacher, this is quite a, a powerful way of living. I mean, what person doesn't want to live in a world where people love their enemies, Right? I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to live in a world where people love their enemies. If, if people love their enemies, then, then what would happen? I mean, we probably wouldn't stay enemies for very long. Or, or maybe we'd at least respect people 
and, and treat people with dignity who are our enemies, which would mean what? A whole lot less conflict, right? Okay, if everyone lived by the golden rule and treated others the way they wanted to be treated, crime would be virtually ended. You could actually trust people. You may not even need contracts. I mean, that would be kind of awesome, right? If everybody treated each other with grace and forgiveness and generosity, then we would live in a utopia. I mean, this would be pretty great. Who doesn't want to live this way? This is a very powerful and wonderful way to live. And as a matter of fact, as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we believe is that when God's heavenly kingdom comes to earth physically, this is what's going to happen. It will all be made right. This is what we look forward to. So who, who wouldn't want this, right? But for now, look around. <laughs> what do we see? People don't live this way. I, I don't even know that we do this very well in the church. I mean, I hate to say that, but we don't always treat each other the way we want to be treated. We don't always, it's unfortunate, sometimes I think we have enemies in the church. We don't always love our enemies well. We don't always act with grace and forgiveness and generosity well. Now, why is that? Why do we struggle with this, especially in the world, but even in the church? I mean, if we all really know that this is an awesome way to live, then why don't we live like this? I think we don't live like this because it's hard. Right? And life happens. And, and maybe, maybe we can hold it together for a little bit. We can find a way to do this in our own strength while it's smooth sailing, right? But then the rough waters of life come. And all of a sudden, when, when the, the flood waters hit our house, what's it going to be? Do we stand or do we fall? The fact of the matter is, if we try to live the way Jesus calls us to live, apart from Jesus himself, if we try to live the way that he has called us to live, apart from him, then we are doomed for a great crash. The only way to survive these rough waters is to be like our teacher, is to come to him, is to listen to him, and to do what he says. So how does the conclusion, how does the conclusion of the Sermon on the Plain begin? Right there in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What a great question, right? Like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do whatever you want? What, is this, what does Jesus mean by this? Ultimately, what Jesus is telling us is that following him is not a matter of labels. Following Jesus is not a matter of labels, okay? He is not Lord simply because I say so. And I'm not a Christian by virtue of saying that I am. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, which is from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's account of a very similar teaching, okay? So it's not the same, it's similar. What does he say in Matthew 7, 21 through 23? Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is some heavy, heavy stuff. And I think what Jesus is saying is that people lie all the time. I mean, I, I think that that's something that universally we can all agree with. Like, people lie. They lie a lot. They, they lie to God, and they lie to themselves. Right? Just because we say something doesn't make it true. Now, that goes right in the face of everything our culture says right now, right? right? But just because we say something doesn't make it true. Now, think about this, all right? We all know how to live in that utopian society I was just talking about earlier. Books have been written about it. Stories have been told about it. People have even tried to do it. But it never works out. Why? It never works out because at the end of the day, nobody really wants it. They don't want to pay the cost. So they might say they want it. But how do we know if they really want it? Whether they're willing to do what it takes to have it. And if they're not willing to do what it takes to have it, then do they really want it? The answer to that is obvious, right? All right. So in the same way, people can say they want to live the way Jesus describes. But at the end of the day, their actions show that it's just lip service. It's just words to make us feel better. It's a lie we tell ourselves while the creek is still in its banks and it's all smooth sailing. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And the implied answer there is because he's not their Lord. And they don't really want to do what he says. Perhaps they want the result of what Jesus has to offer, but they don't want the conditions of what it means to follow Jesus. And if Jesus is not your Lord, then whatever you build on your own, apart from him, will not stand. So Jesus helps us understand what it means to call him Lord. And he says, calling him Lord means coming to him, listening to him, and doing what he says. Now, we're, we're trying to teach our kids, Elise and I, uh, independence. We want our kids to be independent. My, my girls are 13, 10, 8, and 6. And we have this phrase in our house that Elise and I say often. When the kids have a problem, we say, use your resources, right? Use your resources. So if something is high, what should they do? They should get a stool. If they need a pen, I'm not finding a pen. Go to the pen drawer. Like, you know where they are. Go, go get one, okay? If you're thirsty, go kind of faucet right there. Like, 
Use your resources, okay? But you know what my kids know? Your kids know this too. Your grandkids know this. Your neighbor kid know this. All kids know this. You know who the best resource is? This guy right here, you know? Each, each one of you, right? Your kids know you're the best resource. If they really want to get it done, who do they go to? Right? But here's the deal. I can't always be there. I can't always be there. I can't always do things for my kids. So what's our goal as parents is we want to raise independent children that can survive in the wild, right? So we sometimes tell them, no, do it yourself for their benefit and their growth so that they can learn to do it. Here's the thing. I want my kid to be independent from me. That's not the way it is with God. God wants us totally dependent on him. Where, where my kids know I'm the, the best resource, and I say, no, you got to do it on your own. God says, I'm the best resource. Come to me. Listen to me. Do what I say. It's amazing how that might work, right? He is the best resource. He doesn't want us independent from him. He wants us completely dependent on him. I love John chapter 6. I've talked about John chapter 6 several times, I feel like, recently. But, but Jesus, he gave this particularly hard teaching, and many of his followers left, and Jesus says to his disciples, are you leaving me too? And what does Peter say? Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Totally dependent on Jesus. But I love what Peter says. He says, you have the words of eternal life. Part of, of what we need to do is come to Jesus because his words, his teaching, his way brings us comfort, shows us where to do, gives us direction, and helps us know how to endure. So where do we go in our times of trouble? Jesus says, come to me. Now, I love how Psalm 46 says this so plainly. Okay, so imagine the floodwaters coming up. Imagine the torrents of life. And Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Where do we go? What's it say? Where's our refuge? Where do we go? Jesus says, come to me. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble. Come to me. I'm your refuge and your strength. Peter says, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we come to Jesus and the second way we prepare for the spiritual hardships of life is we listen to the word that Jesus says. Verse 47 of Luke 6 says, Everyone who comes to me and what? Hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. We have to hear his words. We have to listen to him. But listening can be hard. Man, Elise and I were just talking about it the other day, how we're giving instructions, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm, no one's listening. I can't be the only one that's experienced that, right? right? So uh, there, there is something to that, right? 
it's not just a matter of, of being present. You have to take it in. You have to dwell on it. So, so we, what do we know? We know we need to come to Jesus, but what are we coming to him for? We should be coming to him for his word. And not just for it to go in one year and out the other, but to meditate on it, to dwell on it, to take it in, for it to change us. We want to be like our teacher, so we come to him and we take in what he has to say. Listen to what God uh, revealed to David through Psalm 119. Listen to how David talks about the word of the Lord and his commandments and his statutes. David says this about, about God's word. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. How does David feel about the word of God? He says, don't take it from my mouth. In other words, don't keep me from saying the things of God, the things that God has put in his words. He says that he has sought God's precepts. He's gone to it. God, what are you teaching me? How, how are you showing me how to live? He finds delight in his commands. Like he understands that God has given these commands for our good, for our growth, for our benefit, because he wants good things for us. And, and the way to, to protect us from the storms of life is in obedience. And so he loves his commands and he meditates on them. All this to say that David sees and understands the value of taking in God's word. If you want to stand when the pressures of life are great, then we must listen to Jesus. And finally, the hard part. It's all easy so far. Smooth sailing. Come to him. Check. Listen. Check. Do what he says. Ugh. Right? But he's our Lord. Lord. And the purpose of coming to him and the purpose of listening to him, hear me, is to obey. Why do we come to him? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's why we come to him. All right, and what do we do when we get there? We want to know what to do so that we can stand. And he says, do this. And we say, nope. Not interesting. Or do we? Or do we say nope? What an opportunity as a follower of Jesus Christ who wants to be trained by the teacher to be more like him so that we can walk in his ways and do them. To hear his word and to forget what he says and not do it is like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25 says this. 
be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Everybody lies. They lie to themselves. They lie to God. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want us to see that true hearing means we are doing. But I want to be clear about something. Doing the word and obeying the word is not what saves us. It is not what saves us. We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith. Our obedience is not what qualifies us for heaven. If that was the case, what would happen? We would all be doomed to hell. But if Jesus is our teacher, and if Jesus is our Lord, then we learn the lessons that he has to teach us, and we do the things he's commanded us to do. We're not saved by obedience, but you better obey. Because it's for your good. He will be, a blessed, he will be blessed in his doing. So we do this not because this is how we saved. We do this because this is who he is. And that is who he has made us to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A what? Say it. New creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. Obedience is not a means of earning your salvation. It is, however, the result of your salvation. It is the result of being new. The old man can't obey, but we are new creations in Christ. And as new creations in Christ, we can obey. Now listen, it's almost like Jesus had this in mind as he gave the Sermon on the Plain. Because in the previous section, which we skipped, Jesus addresses this very thing. Look back at chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You are a new creation. Now, how does this start? Which comes first? In Jesus' example here, which comes first? Is it the tree or is it the fruit? Now, here's the thing. The tree comes fruit. The, the tree comes first, right? The tree comes first. It is the tree that bears fruit. What comes first? 
the tree. The tree. Okay? It's the tree that bears fruit. The fruit that comes is the result of the health of the tree. We want to view this lesson, okay, in our, in, our, in our minds as we process this. We want to make this lesson that Jesus teaches here about fruit. This lesson is not about fruit. It is about trees, okay? That is very important. When we make this about fruit, it then becomes, how are we saved? By obedience, it's not about that. It's about the tree. If you're a good tree, what happens? Good fruit. If you are in Christ, if you are following him, if he is your Lord, what is the result? Good fruit. Obedience. It's not saying you are saved by your good fruit. It's saying since you are saved, since you are good, not of your own doing, but a goodness that comes from being in Christ. What comes out? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the health of that tree comes good fruit. Because you have been changed, because you are a new creation, out of us comes good fruit. So when Jesus says a good tree bears good fruit, he's basically describing a cause and effect. The cause is Jesus. Jesus is the teacher. The student is becoming like the teacher. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, test, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is telling the church that we worship, we worship by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. This, is, this, this idea of being a living sacrifice is not some weird cutting of oneself or some bizarre ritual. Paul is describing obedience. Our spiritual act of worship is obedience. Don't be conformed to the way you used to be apart from Christ. All right? Your mind. It's being renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you, showing you the way of obedience. This renewed mind is how we obey. And when we obey, church, we are worshiping. Do we obey every time? Unfortunately, no. But 1 John chapter 1 says that when we do sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Amen? So Jesus is the cause, and obedience is the effect. All right, a good tree that is a follower of Jesus 
bears good fruit. That is the fruit of obedience. So how do we stand against the rising waters of this life? How do we stand when everything says it's time to crash and burn? Well, we we do what Jesus says. We go to him. We listen to him. And we do what he says. Now look back at chapter 6. What does he tell us to do? Love our enemy. He tells us to treat others the way we want to be treated. He tells us to act in mercy. He tells us not to judge hypocritically. He tells us not to condemn and to live in forgiveness and in generosity. That's what he tells us to do. It's interesting to me to think about what struggles come our way. The the metaphor of the rising river knocking the house down. What are those things that knock us down? It's things like trouble with an enemy. It's things like people taking from us and and not treating us well. It's things like people uh, uh, demanding that we continually give when we're depleted. And what's fascinating to me is obedience in these moments is, is do the hard thing. It's love, even when it's hard. And this is not something we can do on our own strength. This is something we have to do by coming to him and listening to him. And his spirit is in us, and he equips us for obedience. I think the enemy loves to twist scripture. I'm convinced that one of his best strategies in, in, misrepresent, uh, in misinterpretation is getting us to focus on a topic that a particular passage of scripture isn't addressing at all. Okay? Now, there's probably a few of you who are here today who hear what I've been saying as we've been breaking down this text, and you might be wondering if I'm saying you can lose your salvation by disobeying, okay? You maybe you're sitting here thinking, if good trees bear the fruit of obedience, then the fruit of disobedience means bad trees, okay? Maybe, maybe you hear about one house standing and one house falling, and you think that the one that falls down falls because they, they don't obey, okay? And, and you, you reason that if we, if we disobey, then we, we must be able to lose our salvation, And here's what I want you guys to hear. This passage is not addressing eternal security. This passage is not addressing whether or not you can lose your salvation. It's not about once saved, always saved. Hear me. This passage is about becoming like your teacher. Okay? This text is about standing firm, anchored in the foundation of, of Jesus Christ. This, ta- this text takes for granted that those are, who are in Christ, like it's talking to people who are in Christ, all right, that they will first bear the fruit of obedience and second, they will stand when times are hard. It's taking those two things for granted that as a follower of Jesus, I will produce 
obedience. And second, that as a follower of Christ, when times are hard, I will persevere. All right, because we are made more and more like Jesus, right? Because we are made more and more like him. And because we rest in his grace, obedience is the result and enduring the storm is the result. As we are in him, we will obey more and more and we will continue to endure as the result of believing in Jesus Christ. The bad fruit is the fruit of unbelief. The wrecked house is a house built without Christ. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying there? Okay, so, so the bad fruit comes from a tree that does not believe, and the wrecked house is one that is not built on Christ. So for the Christian, all right, for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, obedience isn't optional. For the Christian, obedience becomes written into our DNA as part of being this new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. For the Christian, obedience is who we are. I want you to chew on that. I want you to think about that. I know what's going through your head, but I don't always obey. What's written into you? You are in Christ. You are a new creation. Obedience is the new man. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go back. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, will not, that you are not consumed by one another. Don't go back. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not go back. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we wrap up this teaching on Luke 6, we have seen that Jesus is telling his disciples that when they follow him, they are free from following sin, and now free to walk in obedience to him. He says the way to obedience is challenging. So be equipped for obedience. And how are we equipped for obedience? We go to him. We listen to him. And we do what he says. And this way we have freedom and we have strength to endure as we walk in the joy and in the happiness that comes from a life in Christ. As the praise team comes, I, I want to just challenge you guys with this. For those of you who are in Christ, 
for those of you who are believers. Our disobedience does not disqualify us from heaven. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But obedience is a part of who we are. So when I started talking about this idea of being called to obey, I know you had that thing that went off in your head. Yeah, but pastor, I still struggle with this. Here's my challenge to you. We are called to be more and more like our teacher. How do we lay this thing down? It is for freedom we have been set free, that we are free from this thing that holds us back. We need to lay that down before the Lord. So whatever that thing is that is hindering us, that's, that's holding us back, that we keep turning back to, it's time to lay it down before the Lord. So as we sing this song, Believer, I just I want to call you, I want to challenge you to walk in obedience, whatever that may be. And if you're here today and, and you, you think, you know what, I have, I have come to him, I'm here, right? I've listened to him, I, I like good Bible teaching. But the idea of doing what he says is still troubling. You don't really want to make him Lord of your life. I just want to challenge you with the fact that, that that's, not, that's not what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. We can come and we can hear there's the third part, doing what he says. Many of you will call me Lord, Lord. But on that day, I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Hearing Bible teaching doesn't save you. Obedience doesn't save you either. We are saved by grace, and we call him Lord, and we walk forward in humble obedience. So similarly, what is that thing you're holding on to? What is that thing you're not ready to submit to the Lord? Maybe he's telling you it's time to let go of that. And I just want to say, life, life in Christ is how you stand. Things in life will come. They will be hard. And we will not stand unless our life is built firmly on a foundation of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're ready to build that foundation on Jesus Christ by putting your faith in him, I'd love to talk with you more about what it means Trust in his grace and walk forward in obedience. However God is working in your heart and life, this is our time to respond.